0: My dear girl, my dear dear girl, to bold alley hussy. Very well, Miss Slyboots, saucy Mistress Boldface.
1: This is not the kind of address or language you might expect from an austere six foot powering Church of Ireland bishop and father figure 270 years ago in Dublin.
0: My poor mumper, (laughs) dear giddy brat.
1: Yet these are the genuine words and pet names that Edward Singh, the Church of Ireland Bishop of Elphin, writes so affectionately to his daughter Alicia in a series of two hundred and twenty-one letters that were written between 1746 and 1752.
2: There is literally nothing like these anywhere else in the country. They're extraordinary. This is
1: Dr. Jane Maxwell, Assistant Librarian in Trinity College Dublin. She works with manuscripts and archives research collections and Jane has read, studied and pondered this unique collection of personal letters from the mid-1700s that are held in Trinity's library. If
2: ever you talk to any historian or read any history book about Ireland, the first page of that book will start off with a lament for everything that was lost in the Courts when our own soldiers torched the place. And one of the key areas of historical knowledge that was lost was 18th century social history because all of the assize records went, all of the court records went. Um, so you have no concept of what regular people around the countryside were saying to one another because the records are gone. It was It's a colossal loss. It cannot be overstated. So, in the late 1990s, um, an English... A historian of Irish social life in the 18th century called Marie-Louise Jennings presented to the university library. This collection of the letters of her ancestor, the Bishop of Elphin, Edward Singh. These are letters that Edward Singh wrote to his daughter. My dear impatient fool. The idea that he was besotted by his daughter. He says, everything is easy on me, as long as I know you are well. Ali, my little bee. Edward starts off his letter to Alicia saying, dear Giddy Brat, he calls her Mistress boldface." he calls her Saucy, and she calls him Dada. July
0: 1746.
2: When the letters open, the very first letter, The last, apart from Alicia, the last surviving child is dying. He's in Trinity College as a student, and he's dying, and then he dies.
0: Be no longer eager or inquisitive impatient for the morning to have tidings, and for the evening to have fresh ones. From me you shall henceforth have none, except of myself, unless it pleases God sometime hence to put it in my power to send you certain... or very probable, good ones of your brother.
2: We think, would I be able to live if I lost a child? Would I be able to live if I lost two children? And then you read the first letter in this collection of letters, and the bishop, when he's writing this letter, he has already lost four children, and he's about to lose another. And he he says that he will not let the people who are attending his son tell him how the boy is doing he cannot bear it he cannot bear to be told that today he's well and then to be told another day that he is unwell because he feels that this elation that he would feel when his son is uh, improving and the despondency that he would enter into when he hears that his son is declining would actually kill him compose yourself my dear
0: and learn thus early that resignation to the will of god which is the best, indeed your only support and stay of the mind and body under afflictions. Turn your thoughts upon me, and remember that upon your welfare mine depends. Don't, however, constrain yourself, nor do I forbid crying. Indeed, I rather recommend it. I believe that you've already found that it gives ease, and it will always do so. But divert grief, rather than indulge it.
1: The bishop's wife, Jane, had died after a two-day illness in 1737. His daughter, Alicia, was just four years old at the time. The heartache and depth of his affection is so evident in this letter.
0: This, Huzzy, is a very odd letter for me to write to a girl of thirteen. But I flatter myself that you are your good mother's daughter in understanding as well as in feature. I pray God that you may be like her in everything but her bad health. I can't wish you any more for your advantage. I am, my dearest, dear child, your most affectionate father.
2: So the bishop, because uh, of the rules of his job, had to spend a certain amount of time every year in his diocese and Elphin in County Roscommon in the middle of the 18th century would be considered a very remote place from Dublin, which is where he also lived in Kevin Street. He had a house in Kevin Street. So he had to live in Elphin, but he would not bring his daughter with him because the journey was hazardous and there would be less... Um, well, on a serious note, there'd be less access to any medical care, the necessity for which might occur, but of course also he was training her in how to be a, a socially uh, a mature woman, um, so that the opportunities for that would be less in Roscommon at the time
1: The letters are a surprise Georgian window into daily life in Ireland for the gentry in the mid-1700s And particularly shine a light on the domestic lives
2: of women so it would have been completely expected that he would either marry again or at the very least he would hand alicia over to a female relative to mind because he simply was not expected to take on the role that he did take on so what he did instead was he held on to his beloved daughter and he employed a member of the huguenot community a woman called blanche or blandine jordan she was employed as a nurse for alicia and she taught her French, so she was a, a, a teacher. She became a companion. Uh, all young women and, and uh, uh, widowed women would have had a female companion. Female companionship for women was considered to be so important as to be almost a, a medical thing. You had to be able to have a woman with you, a woman to talk to. And what is wonderful also about these letters is the way that the bishop talks about Blandine Jourdan. He talks to her in letters, and he refers to her, to Alicia, in terms of great affection.
0: Give my service to Miss Jordan. Tell her I thank her heartily for her letter, but not at all for saying at the end of it that her next shall be shorter. I have not time now to write to her, nor must she mind whether I write or not but give me the satisfaction now and then of hearing from her. Pray tell Madam Jane that I will not accept her duty nor anything else from her till she sends it herself. I insist on her writing to me, and when she does, that she does not in a starched formal short letter, but in the same free, easy way that she writes to her own father or mother. If she does not, we shall positively
1: quarrel particular daughter was very special to the bishop, and he addresses her in the letters as very dear, often dear, dear. Their relationship oozes with affection and deep regard, bordering on adoration and much teasing about Alicia's giddiness. He reprimands her for giddiness, delights in her every tiny achievement, and at every opportunity corrects her spellings and punctuation. But what do you mean by saying, he has a mighty giddy
0: opinion of me? Is his opinion giddy? You know how you ought to have wrote, and I know what you mean, but your expression is not exact. And is some proof that you are, in this instance at least, what you suspect he fancies you to be?
2: What I'm going to talk to you about these letters, I'm completely charmed by the social things he tells her, the personal things he tells her, the funny things he tells her. Because remember, it's very, very difficult to get a concept of how people spoke to one another. So it's interesting that he tells her slightly rude jokes or he tells stories that shows that he'd expected her to know a lot of detail about kind of scandalous things we wouldn't consider suitable for a 14-year-old at the moment. So while these things are social... And what he's telling her is about her future life. They actually it's actually a business class, if you think of it like that. He The principal thing he wanted from this letter uh, writing activity was that she would write back to him. Writing letters was an incredibly important, so uh, business skill at this time. There was no other way to do business. You have everybody who was able to write, wrote letters, and everybody of this um, social class did their business by letters. So if Alicia was not able to write very many letters every single day to do business, to make arrangements, to be polite, to show that she was being polite, to network, to maintain relationships. If she couldn't do it, if she couldn't do it fluently and freely, and if she couldn't do it with a good handwriting style and a good grasp of language, then she was at the same kind of um, a disadvantage as you or I would be if we didn't know how to turn on our computer, didn't know how to send an email. So that's how important this was.
0: July 21st, 1747. I got my dear Giddy Brat's two epistles. Now is your time, my dear girl, for improving mind, body, and behaviour. I hope you are as desirous of making use of opportunities as I am of giving you all in my power. To see you a valuable, accomplished woman will be the greatest joy and comfort.
2: In the 18th century, you were either a child or you were an adult. And that's actually one of the very interesting things that come out of this le- these letters. He is training her for her job. Her job is to be a woman. And a woman is not just, at this time, a woman is not just a female person of a certain age. It is a married female person of a certain age. He was training her uh, to run her own independent house, which only happened when you got married.
0: If you intend to be good managers, you ought to keep your expenses separate. If otherwise, the skill is to blend all together, that when I find fault in the sum total, you may plead the multitude of articles that you have nothing to say to, and make more of them than they are. Seriously, a best way will be not to plague Ned Curtis with these kind of things, but to pay for and enter them in a separate
2: account. He was teaching Alicia a business skill of writing, but it had to look like a business skill. There's no point in me saying, oh yes, I'm able to use a computer, but no, I don't know how to use email. He would know that if she were to write a letter, her handwriting would appear on the outside of the letter when you wrote the address. And he was very particular with her about how that had to look. And for example, you couldn't use black sealing wax with a gilt-edged piece of paper, because that was giving two messages. The black sealing wax said that you were in mourning. The gilded edge said you weren't in mourning enough, you know. So everything about the appearance of the letter, he instructed her about as well. My dear girl,
0: I take my sheet, though I have not much to say and am straightened in time. Your writing does not this time appear as well as it would if you had aired your paper. Do it for the future. If you do not improve by your stopping exercises, it is not because you're a dunce, but because you are giddy. You'll amend of this fault sooner than you could of the other.
2: The other things, like the dancing and so on, these were necessary skills for a young woman. You couldn't simply be out in social life uh, in the 18th century and not know the dances. But it's quite clear that he was just ticking a box with that because for example with the music master and as we know he was very um keen on music but he would have had a utilitarian attitude to music i I mean that in the religious sense the music that he would have responded to would have been religious music which was meant to elevate the spirit so she would have been expected to understand that music was what it was and that she wouldn't be able to play a musical instrument just for entertainment in the privacy of her own home. But it's quite clear from the way he talks about the music master that um, he didn't actually mind whether she didn't want to go to the class or that the music master was, it was gone and she had to get another one and there was a delay. So he didn't see any greater urgency about those social skills. May 23rd, 1750.
0: I hope your new music master will continue to please... I believe he is a very good one, it will be your own fault if you do not improve.
1: Edward Singh himself played the harpsichord and saw music as an essential part of worship as well as an important social grace. A skill the bishop wanted his daughter to have was to be able to play a musical instrument which he attempts at different times with varying degrees of success. You can almost hear her moaning about having to practice. Mrs.
0: Jourdain gives me a very pleasing account of your progress on the harpsichord, but laments, as you do, Walsh's ill health, which disables him from regular attendance and says that you are tired of playing the same over and over. This is very natural, but I assure you, my dear, that nothing can be of more use... As I consider this only an amusement, I wish you to have it in the most pleasing way. But if you desire to play well, be assured that the only way for you to arrive at anything like perfection is to dwell upon the same tunes till you play them as completely as your master does. When you can do this with those you have, you'll find the learning of new ones infinitely easier than you can imagine.
3: Dublin really was a centre for musical activity during the 18th century, in fact it sustained an intense level of musical activity throughout um, the 18th century.
1: Dr Trina O'Hanlon is a violinist who has studied in depth the music scene in early Georgian Dublin.
3: Handel's music dominated and particularly dominated programming um, for charity benefits and benefit performances. Um, and you could argue as well that, that many of the charities really exploited Handel's reputation in this respect as well. The, the key message is that Handel sold. So um, his, his, work and his works and his music were extremely popular. So in performing his music, you are pretty much guaranteed an audience.
1: Mercer's Hospital was one of the leading voluntary hospitals, and Trina O'Hannon has studied the administrative records and the music part books from the 18th century Mercer's Hospital Concerts.
3: Mercer's benefited from music and musical performances, but um, Mercers was quite unique in this respect, in that Mercers um, established an annual uh, service, a church service, so it wasn't a concert style format. Mercers held an annual church service and music was performed at the appropriate points within the context of this church service.
1: Bishop Edward Singh in his letters to Alicia makes many references to Mercer's Hospital where he talks about sending various servants for treatments. He was acutely aware that disease had taken a huge toll on his own family and music was one of the ways that the gentry managed to fund Mercer's Hospital.
3: Tickets were sold and the proceeds from the ticket sales uh, went towards the finances and the financial uh, support for running the hospitals.
1: These records and part books also tell us about the lively music scene in Dublin and they mention Bishop Singh.
3: These records, both the music collection and indeed the administrative records provide very important insights into what uh, life was like during the 18th century um, cultural life, social life, um, the goings on in Dublin the Bishop of Elphin was on the Board of Governors of Mercer's Hospital. There are two references to the Bishop in the Mercer's Hospital administrative records and one is quite interesting um, because it makes reference to four tickets that he purchased for one of the the mercers events
1: the charity musical performances provided mercers hospital with its principal source of income for more than 37 years what comes through in these letters is the bishop's willingness to fight through any embarrassment he genuinely feels to advise alicia to be frank and open with her doctor about women's problems He advises her to avoid the monstrous folly of faux delicatesses.
0: My dear girl, consider you are a female, I won't say woman. Everything, therefore, that belongs to females belongs to you. Your frame and nature are what the great god of nature has given you. Can anything, then, that is natural be matter of reproach or be concealed as shameful imperfection, it is not
2: one. To want it would be. I cannot express to you sufficiently how involved this man was in his daughter's private life. So he knows that she worries about the fact that she has red hands. And uh, he knows that she's a bit... She worries that she's quite tall and maybe she's not developing or whatever. So he tells her everything. He talks to her about scurvy and he talks to her about um, going to the bathroom and he talks to her about um, uh, just you know taking spa waters for her little eruptions which i think might be breaking wind or something like that or diarrhea there is a bit of diarrhea going on in these letters too so he really really talks about everything the one thing the one personal thing he does not say talk to her about is the menstrual period which seems extraordinary it's extraordinary because he talks about everything else and it's, it's extraordinary because it was believed at that time that this was a key time in a woman's life when she could become ill unto death. So he does speak to her about it but he says to her I couldn't say this to you while I was with you because I wanted to save your blushes. and now I can only speak to you about it in French.
0: The same thing perfectly innocent may be indecent in one country and not in another. In France a lady will speak with more ease of "ces ordinaire than I now write the word. I could scarce write it in English.
2: Such is the force of custom. When he is speaking to Alicia about talking about things like this, he tells her that he believes that his own wife died because she became ill at a time that she was also experiencing her menstrual period and she did not mention this fact to her doctor. He believed she died because of that. Mrs. Carey is much out of order The because a
0: cold got at a critical time. I tremble when I think of the incorrigible folly of women in that point. Oh, may I never suffer for yours. Let good sense be your guide
2: in that as in everything else. Medical science was at an incredibly poorly developed stage. There was no diagnostic uh, medicine. Um, Everything was dealt with in terms of symptoms rather than disease because there was no other way of of going about things. Um, The female body and female functions were considered to be medically dysfunctional. And women were considered to be weaker in every way, but specifically and especially at the time of their period. And you can get in the tone of that letter his anxiety that uh, this should not happen to his daughter. And that is one of the many reasons that he insisted and he reiterated again and again and again that she must make a friend of her governess, companion, nurse, Blondine Blanche Jourdan. She had to be able to say to her, if she couldn't say it to her doctor, who of course was a man, um, if she couldn't bring herself to say it to her doctor, she had to be able to tell Blanche this so that Blanche could then tell the doctor because he feared she would die from modesty.
0: Physicians are under great difficulties on this account. Every one whom I have employed have lamented them to me and owned that they have been sometimes so embarrassed by them as that they knew not what to do. And I have no doubt, but multitudes of women are every year thus destroyed. That you attempt to break through this ridiculous, though common, niceness, that you suffer the doctor and Ned to speak to you about these matters as about anything else, that you consent Mrs. J should encourage them to do it, If it costs a few blushes at first, what signifies it? They'll soon be over, and you and I both easy. I shall not be so till I know this letter has had its proper effect. And yet I do not expect a word of answer.
1: Even though we don't have Alicia's letters, there are times when her voice is clearly heard in Edward's corrections of her letters. My respect, affection and duty to my dear
0: Dada every day increases. Well, it ought to be increase. Two or more nominative singular, the verb ought to be plural. This is a grammar rule. I blame myself that you were not taught it early. We must try as well as we can to supply that defect.
2: One of the wonderful things about letters themselves is that, unlike almost any other kind of written record, a letter is not written just from the point of view of the author. It is written as a dialogue. The author writes something to another person that either he or she thinks the other person wants to hear or needs to hear and then expects an answer. And an answer arrives and the next letter, even if the answer doesn't survive, the next letter might refer to the uh, correspondent's uh, own letter. So what you sometimes find in these letters is... Uh, the, le- the bishop quotes back to his daughter he quotes back to Alicia something that she has already said how do we know about her? what her letters say because we don't have any of her letters do we no that's a very good question it's another case of the invisible woman in the archive the best one the best example and the one that makes you saddest that the rest of her responses don't, reply, don't survive is when they're talking about very youthful marriage Now, um, youthful marriage young women getting married was quite normal There was, beginning through the 18th century, to be a move away from very young uh, child brides. What age are we talking about? Uh, You could actually be married at almost any age, but you could be married at 14. You could be married at 13, probably, but there would be certain, again, reputationally, that's very unlikely. Um, There was no rule you could be married. Uh, It was just uh, the parents had the right to dispose of their children any way they wanted. And there was a move away from that. Um, But, of course, it could still happen, because these social changes happen very, very slowly. It wasn't like now, where one minute something is accepted, and the next minute everybody is rejecting it. Things happen very slowly. So, at one point, the bishop talks about a very youthful marriage. I had heard your news.
0: Such marriages shock me, however frequent. The parents in such cases seem to have no regard but to get their children off their hands, regardless of what is to happen to them afterwards. Such nursery girls are very unfit to be mothers and mistresses of families, or to make men of sense happy. But those who choose thus are usually as great babies as those whom they do choose, or they marry for interest and conveniency. Hence, so many
2: miserable pairs... love about this letter is that clearly Alicia answered him and he used her answer to correct some of her spelling but he by doing that writes out her viewpoint of this youthful marriage and it's so interesting to get the female view she says that she had sympathy for the girl who was thrown into the world before she could know how to conduct herself in it so she clearly takes the young girl's view thinking about herself and how it would be if she had to behave in the world, as it was called, publicly. She would have to deal with tradesmen, she would have to order things about, she would have to go out in public and represent the family um, in, in social life. And that, that was a skill. And it was not something, women didn't necessarily rush thor- towards that. Um, it, it was a, a huge undertaking. So it was very interesting to see Alicia's own view of the youthful marriage, of a female view of a youthful marriage. the
1: letters were meant to be kept as instructions for life and managing the household there are as you might
2: expect lots of mentions of servants although he does not think she is an adult at the start because he refers to her eventually becoming an adult uh, he does call her, he does refer to her as being grown up at the end but in the co- in the contents of the letters if we did not know what age she was at the start based on the things he told her to do... and the orders, the instructions he asked her to carry out... say, for example, with managing servants... you would form the impression that she was a lot older than she was. Elfin, October 11th, 1751.
0: You know me to be strict and severe... with regard to the conduct of servants. This is not the effect of temper, but prudence. Harshness, irksome to myself... I find necessary to keep them in order... Oftener, even this won't do. "'As little will gentle admonitions. "'I have tried both with Beatty, I fear, to little purpose. "'He is, at present, in great disgrace, "'and I have told him I will dismiss him. "'I am not so resolved on this, "'but I'll admit of your intercession if he applies for it. "'But stop the making of his clothes, if it be not too late.' I would have no
2: hope left him in appearance. In Elfin, obviously, the bishop had a house, and it was fully staffed. And he had a house in Kevin Street, and that was fully staffed. So he had a housekeeper in Elfin called Mrs. Heap. Great name. Absolutely, isn't it? Now, Mrs. Heap was not a sort of Downton Abbey housekeeper, where her every waking moment was devoted to making life easy for her beloved employers, and uh, making the house run like clockwork. No, no. Mrs. Heap had her own way of doing things. And in one letter, you can hear his frustration, but you would actually laugh out loud. August 14th, 1747.
0: Mrs. Heap gives herself no trouble. She lies abed till eight or nine, and then saunters about as she pleases. She spends most of her time in the servants' hall or in her own room, they with her. And as far as I can observe, darning, or pretending to darn,
2: is her chief employment. If you consider we're in the middle of the 18th century, you're in Common. you do not go to the shop if you need something, you, you make it yourself, and that's why the housekeeper was so incredibly important, it was her job to ensure that the house was provisioned. Well, now. Mrs. Heap didn't concern herself too much about things like that. And so that bishop who was very fond of bread, again, we are in pre-potato time here, so bread really was the staple uh, food. The bread was rubbish, the bread was terrible, and he was always complaining about it. And he would ask somebody that he knew who made very good bread um, how to do it, and he would give this instruction to Mrs. Heap and to the cook, he had a cook, and they would just ignore him. So I find this really interesting because... Formally, they had, they were, they had to do what he said. He employed them, and he could throw them out of there, on the rear, on the road, at any time. So you would imagine that that would make them do behave in a certain way, but it certainly didn't. They expressed themselves quite freely by letting, you know, the sugar run out and ruining the beer, and all he could do was complain. Finn, August 9th, seventeen
0: forty-seven. Since my coming hither, I have had two quarrels with Mrs. Heap, who really does just nothing at all but keep the linen and the groceries, how well I do not know, nor do I inquire. Since my return from Killaloo, I inquired about my consumption of wheat and found it within a trifle as great as last year's when my constant family was seventeen more than now and I had much more occasional company. She made some idle pretense, but could give no good account. And now, since I made a bustle, about half the quantity
2: serves. the, The fact that he had to adapt strategies to establish his authority tells you something very important and otherwise invisible in the record about how servants and employers got on.
1: It's hard to believe that this is the time when potatoes were not the staple food and were only coming into the Irish diet. Yet melons and pineapples and apricots are spoken of regularly. In almost every letter there's a reference to food of some sort, even foods we think of as present-day trends, like parmesan cheese and calamari. Your account of fruit, etc.,
0: is bad enough, no remedy. If everything else falls out right, we may bear this loss. But I really believe that Roberts has been negligent and that his apology for the loss of the first crop of melons is in plain English a lying excuse. Or if it be true, what can he say for his suffering his frames to be in such a condition? That fellow, though in other respects he is not a bad servant, abounds with lying excuses beyond any I have met. Trace speak to him about winter and spring crops. Inquire particularly about broccoli. Remember
2: how good it was last year. A very important aspect of networking and relationship maintenance in the 18th century was gift-giving. So if you had a beautiful garden, and especially if you had a greenhouse at house. You could produce fruit, fine fruit, uh, uh, soft fruit, and you could then give them as gifts. Gifts, Gift-giving was very important, and the bishop instructs um, Alicia in who to give gifts to. You tell
0: me you ate of a pineapple. I am pleased you did, but sorry you do not at this time of day know how to spell apple. You write it with a single P.
2: I'm amazed they had pineapples. They had everything. They had, they, If you think, the glass houses, which were, f- f- they were heated by fire, um, they produced the most exquisite fruit, the, the grapes and apricots and things like that. But yes, the provision of fine fruit, soft fruit, exotic fruit, um, was a sign, it was like a, a signal of just how cultured you were because um, you could do this and people who didn't have the money that you had couldn't do it. And you gave gifts... To the people uh, that would appreciate them.
1: Read me another extract from. Have you anything to do with um, clothing or fashion? Because I know he wrote to, to Alicia over several years about fashion. And did this happen as
2: she got older? Uh, the bishop would have been very, uh, very, con- very concerned with how Alicia presented herself, because she would always be known as his daughter, and therefore she had to maintain a certain appearance. So, But then, she was a young girl, and she would have her own ideas about dress. And one of the letters that I like very much, well, it's actually two letters, it's over a series of letters, he wants to buy her a new dress, or a suit, as he calls it.
0: I have for some time had it in my thoughts to make you a present, madam. And what do you think it is? A suit of black velvet. I imagined at first that it might be proper at the end of the public mourning, but in that I find I am mistaken. However, it will be right to have it for slight mornings, which happen often, and it is a dress I am very fond of. Provide yourself of the best of the very best kind that can be had. If the town affords not a perfect one, I suppose your friend Grogan
2: will import one. So, now a suit of black velvet, I'm sure it was a thing of beauty, and it would also double up as morning, because you always had to have a morning dress in your uh, wardrobe, but clearly nothing actually happened. Now, any young woman, you could imagine, would jump at the chance of her dad buying her a, 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 a new outfit, but nothing happened, and then eight letters later, he says, you say nothing of your velvet. The mention of
0: birthday finery brings your friend Grogan to my mind. Is he arrived? I suppose not, because you say nothing of your velvet. If he comes not soon, he'll be too late for Vanity Fair. I count there'll be great scrambling for first choice at his arrival. And as I suppose you and Jenny intend, I think indeed you ought to enlarge your wardrobe. So, since I purpose to stay so long here, I would have you choose for yourselves and not wait for my fancy. You, I know... Are fond of it, but it's better follow your own, assisted by your friends on the spot, than to take up with culls.
2: So he's tearing himself apart. He he wants her to look like his daughter he also wants to be, her to be a young girl um, so clearly I think she, at the end she got the suit of Black Velvet and she also got uh, something a little more a little more glitzy with <laughs> an element of you're not going out in that <laughs> you're not going out well actually that's uh, very true because um, again he is out more than she is as in um, out more freely than she is and he's conscious that young women want to talk about fashion want to know about fashion you know my taste
0: cloth's not gaudy and rather elegant than rich. Yet if a sprig of gold or silver be the mode, I limit you not. I would have you singular in nothing but goodness. Get your money, both of you, from Ned Curtis whenever you please. He'll furnish mine to pay for your velvet.
4: Obviously, there was a considerable amount of money spent on the on the silks, uh, and um, the, the, the sort of cost of your dress went into the actual fabric rather than the making of it.
1: Alex Ward of the National Museum Collins Barracks.
4: When you come across 18th century accounts of um, what women were kind of spending on their clothing, the the dressmaker or the mantra maker, it's always a very small percentage of what the actual cost of the fabric has been. Um, And certainly for a sackback dress, which is where you have the pleats at the back, um, 12 to 16 yards of fabric would be needed to create a dress. And did what you wear say an awful lot about, you know, for women? Did it say about your
1: status in the world?
4: It did. And obviously the silks, I mean, silks being probably uh, the most fashionable fabric of the, of the 18th century, um, the silk itself was expensive. So uh, to be able to afford to buy silk gowns, particularly elaborate, elaborate brocaded silks, um, was a way of showing your wealth. Um, and, and for men as well as women, I mean, you, you displayed your wealth through your clothing.
0: October 15th, 1751. Mrs. Carey read me yesterday a letter from her sister giving an account of the profusion of finery. It had made me nauseate gold, silver, point d'espagne, etc., more than I did. By her account, the richest-dressed lady there will not be the handsomest. This palm she gives to Mrs. F., What folly to pay so much for making ugliness conspicuous? The day that they are all displaying their charms and finery, I hope to be happy myself and make you so."
4: Now, there were so many different types of silk woven in the 18th century, um, ranging from quite plain silks, which would have been more accessible to people of lesser means, uh, right through to um, silk brocades woven with gold and silk threads, which would have been the most expensive ones.
2: It's difficult to get our heads back into what it would be like to lose five children. Um, It wasn't unusual. Uh, Getting to your third birthday as an 18th century child was um, quite a uh, development. There are good reasons to believe that the increase in the education offered to regular women had a significant impact on child Uh, the the child mortality rates, which began to improve the whole way through the century in keeping with women's uh, ability to be educated, but also to share their concerns with other women. So child mortality uh, did decline, but nonetheless, it was not unusual to lose children. Five out of six seems extraordinary. As he approaches his 60th birthday...
1: He gets particularly wistful about what life has thrown at him, and you can see how Alicia has sustained him and given him a reason to live and a purpose in life.
0: Elfin, October 18, 1751. This day, my dear girl, your beloved father is 60 complete. I will not say with Jacob, few and evil, etc. No. My days have been many and prosperous, prosperous in all points except the grievous domestic afflictions with which it pleased God to visit me. These have embittered my other comforts, which without them had been such as fault few men share in this world. But I have endeavored to make a right use of them. Time and reflection have, in some measure, blunted their edge. And thanks be to God, I have you, my dear, to gladden my eyes and heart and to be the staff of my declining years.
1: The fact that he calls her his dear giddy brat, his little hussy, his little bee, that he invests all his energies into making sure she survives to womanhood, that he's not afraid of talking to her about everything periods, child marriage, household management and spellings shows how much he loves her and made her his life's work. Saucy Mistress Boldface was presented and produced by Angie Mazzetti with sound supervision by Patrick Wall. Music in the programme was by the Irish Baroque Orchestra. The actor, Simon Coory, read the letters of Bishop Edward Singh. The program was an ocarina production for RTE Lyric FM.